This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, The Man from Earth, Part 2. everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review critique show that is putting the humanities back into science fiction. My name is Gep, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! I feel as if we've seen this episode before. Or have we? Dun, dun, dun. dun. <laughs> well, in some ways, we kind of have, because we've covered several things by Jerome Bixby, the writer of this episode, including a movie he's done that's just kind of on a lot of the same themes. Yeah. So this episode is called Requiem for Methuselah, as you mm-hmm. said, written by Jerome Bixby, who is a longtime Star Trek writer. Indeed. Yeah, we've seen several things by him before. Uh, what do I have here? Mirror Mirror, Day of the Dove. By any other name? Remember that one? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Also, our first ever movie episode, which, you know, people may have missed because it was our first ever movie episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, called Man from Earth, which is indeed just this. I didn't. I didn't know that. I may have waited on that movie recommendation if I knew that there was an episode coming up that was just that. Well, th- there is a few differences in this one here. For instance, Kirk's there. Yeah, which makes it just <laughs> so much worse. <laughs> Immediately. And yeah, Kirk is kind of yeah. This episode. Hmm. So this is basically Man from Earth, which I mean, we'll go over more of this in a minute, but it's, it's just Man from Earth, but but proto-Man from Earth. And in the future. But that doesn't really matter that much for what they're doing, so. Yeah. There's an android in it for some reason. Yeah, because everybody loves robots. Mm-hmm. Also, there's robots. <laughs> I know this is something that they covered in Star Trek Picard, which I still haven't seen. I just decided to screw it on spoilers and read some things about it, so I know they kind of cover why... Humanoid androids keep popping up all over the danged place, but like, still, there's so many. Uh, is it is involving a time travel loop and uh, you know mysterious forces beyond our comprehension? Yeah, something like that. Sweet. This, there seems to be some sort of Lovecraftian AI thing going on in modern Star Trek that I don't know if I'm a fan of. Well, I guess that you know would kind of explain like the Borg existing. Anyway. <laughs> okay, uh, this episode we only have two guest stars mm-hmm. james daly plays flint yes and uh he's been on a, a whole bunch of stuff uh sort of contemporary to that era uh including the fbi Ooh. was yes. also very well known for being the spokesman for camel cigarettes mm-hmm. for like six years uh don't smoke kids bad for you started on broadway on you know Everything you've ever heard of from the 50s to the 70s. Yes, uh, and uh, I'm trying to remember the exact name of it. It's like, I think it was him that was on uh, like the United States Steel Hour or something like that. Yeah, something. I think I remember something. It's like a, a whole, like a, a, not quite a variety show where they like put on plays and just like every week different one, you know. Sponsored by U.S. Steel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think this guy might have something in, uh, you know, some connection to advertisements. I'm, I'm not sure. Oh, oh, oh before, before we move on, he doesn't make it to Star Trek The Next Generation, but it does make it to Roots The Next Generation. <laughs> then The Next Generation is something. Yep. <laughs> Our other guest star is Luis Sorrell, who is playing Reyna. Mm-hmm. She also began her career on Broadway 
Uh, she was on films in the in the 1960s. Uh, apparently, her most well film role was something called "The Party's Over," which I've never heard of. Um, sounds like something my mom would have liked. There's a lot of <laughs> you know random TV guest spots like Bonanza and Kojak. And she is still acting currently on the fairly long-running soap opera Beacon Hill. Uh, which, uh, according to my s- sources, say that she's been at least on eight episodes, but it's like ongoing sort of thing. Yes. Um, but but she's been in other soap operas, like Days of Our Lives for 470-some episodes. It's a lot of episodes. Yes. And Santa Barbara, similar sort of deal. Almost 500. Or maybe 500, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, that's... All of that. I've been procrastinating because it's the first really, really hot day of summer here, and I'm tired, and I don't know what I'm going to talk about for this, but I suppose we should just get the synopsis going. Well, you could talk about how hot it is. Yeah, it's too hot. (laughs) Too hot for TV. (laughs) (laughs) So, the Enterprise is being ravaged by an epidemic. Oh. Oh, uh, so this seems familiar. Okay, go on fifth episode in a row <laughs> was the theme of an epidemic because of Everyone's course getting sick yeah the only cure for this rigelian fever is a large quantity of a mineral called ritalin it's like ritalin but different yeah they've come to a planet that should have very large quantities that they can use to synthesize a cure so right, let's s- like yeah let's just beam it up and be good to go. Yeah, your standard Kirk, Spock, and McCoy landing party beam down to collect the mineral deposits, but soon after they're approached by a fairly large flying robot that disables their weapons and begins shooting at them. This robot lo- looks familiar. Is this like Upside Down Nomad or something? It is an Upside Down Nomad. It's Whoops. Mirror Universe <laughs> Nomad. <laughs> yeah, just kind of going around shooting at us. It's fine. It's going to be all right. They're soon cornered with no escape when a man appears and tells his robot to stop shooting them. Um, uh, thank you, random person. He introduces himself as Flint, and this is his planet. His entire planet. Oh, um, so wait, wait a moment. This is like Omega-3. Yeah, he's apparently just owns a planet because he's that kind of dude. I was going to make an Omega-3 joke, but I didn't. it didn't work out. So He wants them to leave. Kirk tries to explain their situation and that they basically need their mineral, but he almost immediately resorts to threatening Flint. Like, yeah, we're going to like, just come down here and take it. What do you think about that, huh? Yeah, it's like, well, we would like to cooperate with you, but we could just take it by force. Hint, hint. And Flint goes, that would be funny. <laughs> you want to fight okay but what <laughs> finally kirk pleads for humanity for his crew because they are basically taken over by the plague and flint goes all misty eyes goes oh the plague i've heard of the horrors of this plague yes the plague it's nasty there's rats and things like that they're squeaking they spend calling into the night like those like those those lambs those sheep and i'm asking for some sort of silence of the rats he spends ages going on about the actual bubonic plague. Mm-hmm. As you do. They ask if he's like a student of history. He goes, oh yeah, in a way, sure. And he sends his yes. robot off to collect the minerals that they need and invites them to join him at his massive mansion complex. So uh, I, I don't think the uh, uh, version of the complex that we see exterior shot 
is the same as the original one, but the one they have in the sort of the remastered version is kind of fa- really fancy. Yeah, it's massively fancy. It looks like it's about the size of a medium-sized city. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just live here by myself. Don't worry about it. Yep. My robots. His mansion is filled completely with art and instruments and priceless historical artifacts and books and original works of Shakespeare's, like a massive horde of priceless artifacts. And as well as, uh, you know, props from Star Trek, the original series that they, you know, that show up in various episodes, those are also there too, and not this episode. They are entertained by their host for a while, as in another room, a young woman watches them on a monitor. This is Raina. She is enthralled to finally see other humans. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, not only does she get to try out a flat screen TV here, but she might be able to meet some people. She also sees a Vulcan who she's very excited about because she wants to discuss subdimensional physics with him because she's reached the limit of what she can learn from Flint, and he's told her that Vulcans know more about this stuff than even he does. Cool. Um, though uh, quantum foam's a little, little BS, but you know, whatever. <laughs> Everything I know about quantum foam I learned from Timeline. (laughs) Flynn is worried that this has made her realize that she's lonely. But Raina goes, what is loneliness? Loneliness. It's that song by the police, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking something else. He goes, it is a flower (laughs) in a desert yearning for water. Is that not okay? Sure. Okay. All right, Mr. Metaphors. What next? (laughs) Back in the living room, the crew are sharing a hundred-year-old brandy, and Spock is confessing an unfamiliar feeling of envy at Flint's fine collection of art and other completely unknown works by the likes of Leonardo da Vinci. Well, uh, maybe, you know, Flint's, like, like, inherited a whole bunch of private collections from various people or something. But it's weird, because... They don't really seem like they're fake because they're made too well. And someone like Flint, who's obviously like rich enough to buy a planet, wouldn't have any particular need to have or display fake artwork. But all of these original works by Leonardo da Vinci are on contemporary canvases and made with modern materials. That's a little weird. Wait a moment. Is he a time traveler? Is he abducting famous figures from history in order to, to get them to, to create works of art for him personally? I don't think that's a plot I've seen. That would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Note to self, write that someday. <laughs> Flint reappears with his robot carrying a tiny baggie of minerals. It's stuck to him at the side. It's like taped on. Well, this is our uh, meth is uh, delivering uh, some Heisenberg blue. <laughs> it does look like that. McCoy's about to beam up to the Enterprise and begin processing it, but Flint tells him not to bother because he has a laboratory that can process the minerals much, much more quickly than they would be able to on the Enterprise. He also introduces them to his ward, Reyna. Her parents are dead. Oh, uh, sorry to hear about that, Reyna. That's kind of an awkward thing to bring up right away when you introduce somebody, but cool. Yeah, this is like the third time they've introduced a young female character who's inexplicably connected with some random old dude. And they're like, it's okay. She's an orphan. So this isn't creepy at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. McCoy leaves to supervise the robot in the lab, and Kirk plays billiards with Reyna while they all talk. Uh, Flint and Kirk debate human nature for a while because Flint believes that humanity is still too close to its violence roots. And Kirk has that weird thing where he's like, well, yeah, we are super 
uncontrollably violent and animalistic, but you know, we have self-control now. It's fine. We've learned some things. Also, hi, Reyna. You're really, really close to Kirk here. Flint turns to Spock, who's been futzing with the piano for a bit, and says that he should play the waltz he's been reading. Kirk and Reyna dance, and Spock starts to look more and more confused by the music that he's playing. Yes, because uh, they probably just dubbed over it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> McCoy enters, looking very concerned and breaking up the party, because the minerals that they were working with were contaminated, which is rendering the cure useless. Oh no, uh, the, like have radium in there or something like that? Yeah, something. I forget what it was. Yeah. Uh, there's another made-up yeah. mineral in there, made-up mineral. Hmm, I'm starting to think Star Trek doesn't know chemistry. Yeah. Anyway. Flint takes his robot and McCoy out to more carefully collect more minerals so that they don't have the same contamination problem while everyone goes, it's weird, it's like he's stalling us here for some reason. And yeah, don't we have like two hours, like 18 minutes before everybody on the ship dies or something? Yeah. Also, aren't we infected with this, this Argelian plague as well or something? As far as I one don't can know. tell. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, does that mean Flint's going get to get sick and die too? Possibly. Man. There's some consequences we don't even think about. There's really like a plague ship here. Yeah. Yeah. Spock tries to explain that the music is weird because it was by Brahms, but it's a new piece written on contemporary paper. Hmm. Kirk doesn't really care. Kirk has other, his mind on other things right now. Yeah. Kirk explores the lab, poking at beakers and other things, until he sees Reyna, who's standing next to a closed door. And staring at it, there's something uh. horrible on the far side. Here's the screams of the rats. Oh, never mind. She tells him that this is the only place in the entire complex that Flint has refused her go. And she wonders what's in there when she's troubled. Well, it could be like a radiation hazard or yeah. something like that. She attracted radiation? That's a sweet power. Well, that would explain some things. <laughs> Kirk then immediately starts kissing her out of nowhere. Kirk, um, this is a little fast, even for you. She looks super uncomfortable, which is how we know it's true love. Ugh. That's all I can say to that is, ugh. Flint's robot enters and starts menacing Kirk. Starts, Good. Like shooting him. Gonna go like, ah, I'm gonna kill you. But then at the last minute, Spock shoots it, saving Kirk to... Assault random women another day. Damn it, Spock. You were supposed to be the good guy on the ca on the crew here. Yep. Later, Flint explains that the robot was programmed to defend Reyna, and it must have mistaken Kirk for an intruder because he forgot to reprogram it to let it know that there were other people around now. Hmm. Bit of an oversight for your yep. deadly, deadly murder bot. Yeah, how about you just turn off the murder functions whenever you have visitors by, guy? Yeah. That would be helpful. Uh, I want to touch on something uh, in the lab here for just a second. Uh, so the lab here is, you know, late Star Trek original series, you know, a lot of reuse sort of bits and pieces here, but they have on the table a collection of what looks like at first uh, multicolored or different colored like ketchup bottles like you find at Steak and Shake, except they're really tall and long. And they're apparently filled with some sort of colored liquid. Yeah. It's not really for any point. I just found that really interesting to look Those at. Those are the ones that they like put the kind of like sports bottle caps on with the little plastic clicky doos because yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's like it's like a restaurant style ketchup bottle which like they 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 use them in the back end of restaurants i have a couple because they're really good for using in the kitchen mm -hmm. but they took the normal like squeezy lid off of them and put a sports drink style plastic lid on top with the little like clicky thing you can open and close with your teeth yeah it's it's, it's bizarre but i like it. yeah it is weird it's kind of like how 
McCoy has a collection of random spray bottles. Yep. <laughs> well, he has, McCoy has to spray the crew members occasionally. Yeah, just spritz them down. Bad. It's just they're all for Kirk. It's like, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> well, that, that's why... That's why Kirk is all kissing Reyna here. McCoy's out of the house. Yeah, he doesn't have the spray bottles. Okay, we, we, we figured it out, guys. <laughs> Back to synopsis. Well, Spock thinks that Flint has actually programmed his robot to attack Kirk because he's jealous of Kirk. But it is slightly odd that he also keeps pushing Kirk and Reyna to be near each other all the time. Yeah, it's like there's some sort of weird, I want you to, like, justify me killing you, maybe? Maybe. Kirk calls Scotty for an update on the outbreak and whether or not they've heard of these people that they are on the planet with. The outbreak has not improved, but they do have some information in the database on Mr. Flint. Because he purchased this planet about 30 years ago, but before that, neither he or Reyna exist. That's kind of weird. This keeps happening in the Federation. They need to keep, like, better tabs on people, I think. Do. I mean, the library exploded. Yeah, the library exploded. I, I, I can understand why you guys maybe have some issues with, you know, making sure people aren't committing fraud everywhere, but come on. Yeah. Also, apparently, Reyna doesn't exist at all. Wait a moment. Is this guy human trafficking? Flint, back on the same monitor we saw before, watches this entire exchange with Reyna, and she is concerned that he may have sent the robot to kill Kirk on purpose, but he denies it. And says that she should go say goodbye since he's going to give them the cure and they're all about to leave. So she does. But oh. Kirk doesn't want her to leave and starts kissing her again, which upsets Flint. Hmm. So did you want to, like, chaperone her when she said her goodbyes? Or is this exactly what you wanted to have happen? Uh, I don't know. Yes, we're getting, like, mixed signals here, guy. Suddenly, Flint appears with a new robot because, you know, it was just too useful. He had more... Another M4. Hmm. It has the cure. And Reyna's upset by Kirk asking her to leave with them. And she runs out of the room. He goes, no. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. So then the robot, like, disappears. The cure's gone. Flint and robot are gone. And the cure is gone. So they don't have anything they can do. Uh, but Spock finds the cure again. He detects it. It's behind that one door. Oh, are you with the radiation door? Oh, no. Yeah, it opens for them, revealing a laboratory filled with Reynas. This isn't nuclear waste. Unless it is, but this would be kind of weird. They're <laughs> all lying on the table in various states of things, and they're all meticulously labeled with little cards that say Reyna 14. Wait a moment. Uh, these aren't clones. They're some sort of <gasps> androids? Yeah. So Flint shows up. He goes, yeah, Reyna's my android. Built them because you know i have centuries and centuries of loneliness to get through and spock challenges him over the paintings and music and reveals that in fact not only is he flint he's also brahms and da vinci and solomon and alexander and lazarus methuselah and merlin but what about lazarus <laughs> <laughs> so Apparently, this guy's been a whole bunch of uh, important figures throughout history. Yep. Has, uh, yeah, and so he's kind of retired here and uh, is building uh, robot ladies. Yeah. In fact, uh, Raina's, like, I guess would be edition number 18. Wait a moment. Ro Android 18. So he was basically born in what we now know as Mesopotamia in 3834 BC. He was a dumb soldier who got himself stabbed but didn't die. Whoops. Yeah. Um... So, 
you just kind of kept living, okay? Koi, like, suddenly goes, you have perfect tissue regeneration. Oh, yeah. Sure. Cool. <laughs> what of it? <laughs> Reyna was his attempt to make himself a mate who was as intelligent and as immortal as he was, but also looked like a hot 17-year-old, I guess. Yeah, because, you know, I guess he's still into really young girls at this point. It's kind of creepy. He also looks like he's in his, like, 60s, 70s. Indeed. So. Yeah, so he looks more like he could be her, like, granddad. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. Like you're creepy. So now they know his secret, they actually can't leave. So he hits a little button in his pocket and turns the Enterprise into a tiny model on the table, complete with crew. Well, that's kind of cool. Uh, we got ourselves a model Enterprise. Wait, this is the actual Enterprise. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> They're all in stasis, and he'll let them go in a few centuries when they're no longer a problem to him. And also, this is why he was all amused at Kirk threatening him earlier. It's like, you have no idea what you're th- who you're threatening here, guy. Lorena suddenly pops up again and objects to the way that they're treating because the entire reason, apparently, that he kept telling Kirk and Reyna to be around each other is because having other people around turned on her emotions somehow. So now she has emotions when she didn't before. So um, I guess in a very literal sense, Kirk has turned her on. <laughs> yep. 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 But now she's got emotions, which is a problem for Flint because if he, you know, kills all the people that she's just met, she's going to hate him. She has emotions now. It's like, yeah, I now can understand that you're kind of a monster, Flint, uh, so screw you, guy, I'm out of here. So he goes, darn, and puts the Enterprise back where it was. Fine, I'll, like, behave and not be monstrous. He tells Kirk to leave, but he doesn't want to leave because now he loves Reyna. So they start awkwardly fighting. One of those weird, yeah. awkward fights where they just, like, have the stunt men just sort of mash into each other and go, eh, eh, eh. I, I think uh, the appropriate thing to sort of say is, you know, meanwhile, in, a, in an identical room also with, with Spock and McCoy and Reyna, a couple of stunt doubles are fighting. <laughs> Raina gets upset that they're fighting over her, and both Kirk and Flint stop, but try to get Raina to come with them. They're, they're doing the dog thing. They're both like, come here, girl. Come, come here. Come here. Come on. Who loves yeah, me more? Don't... Whichever one she yeah. goes with, she cares about and gets to keep her. Come here, girl. Come here. Come here. Spot goes, hey, this, is, this ain't gonna end well, but they yeah. don't listen. And then... Raina dies. Just she's like, ah, I don't know what to do, and she falls down dead. Yeah, she just kind of gets too much emotion, I guess. Yep. She was so overwhelmed with her new emotion, she had a complete logical paradox of not being able to hurt either of the men she loved. So the only solution is to die. I guess this sort of thing happens again later in Star Trek, but this one's kind of more of a okay. I guess this is like a logical paradox as opposed to like weird like. Not being able to really handle emotions properly. Yeah, this is something Asimov yes. keeps doing, but not with emotions. With the whole like, if there's, in, you know, if the only way that the robot can save someone from being hurt is to hurt someone else, it shorts out their brain and they go ah and die. Mm-hmm. Asimov I loves guess, that. Uh, does that maybe imply that she is some Asimovish sort of robot? Then probably not. She's just a badly yeah. built robot <laughs> that can't handle emotions. <sighs> No one knows how to make an android in this universe that doesn't, like, suck somehow. Hmm. Yeah, anytime you give a robot emotions, it either dies of love or turns evil. Damn it, Lore. <laughs> Later, they've cured the crew. Kirk's very, very, very depressed. Like, not lifting his head off the desk depressed. Yeah, it's like, I'm just gonna lay here now. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
McCoy informs him and Spock that Flint's dying because he moved away from Earth and all its complex fields. Well, I guess the Earth does have a fairly strong magnetic field. Uh, If you don't have that, you might get like slowly increased radiation exposures Mm -hmm. and that might be killing him, I guess. It's just the whole hand wavy thing. It's like, oh, he formed in Earth's complex fields. Yeah, just sort of, it's really much, you know, okay, he only is immortal in this environment. So now he's got about the same lifespan as anyone else, and he's decided to spend the rest of his life in service to humanity in some vague, ill-defined way we're never going to hear about. Yes, uh, I think the only other reference we ever have to this episode is in Voyager. So McCoy looks very pitiably on Kirk, and goes on a big rant to Spock about how he can never understand what it's like of the pain of remembering lost love and how that makes it worth loving at all and emotions and the, 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 you know, racist McCoy stuff. Yeah. Then he leaves and Spock approaches poor depressed Kirk, starts a mind meld and tells him to forget. So I guess Kirk is never going to be bothered about lost loves again. Yep. Hooray. So that was an episode. (laughs) We were talking about this the other day and I certainly have never had any objection to, like, fan fiction interpretations of characters and inserting romances in for your, you know, fan fictions and things. Mm-hmm. It's literally written into the episode. Yep. <laughs> Kirk and Spock are together, or at least Spock's really into Kirk and doesn't want him to be hurt over loving this woman that came between them. Yep. <laughs> like, there's no other way to interpret their interactions. What? <sighs> My, my, my good buddy who I'm so close to, I'm going to help take the pain away. Hold still. Like, I thought too much? <laughs> I thought this was just the normal stuff. I have a friend whose like, entire hobby is taking any two men who stood next to each other for any length of time in any series and trying to uh, to like explain why that actually means that they're gay lovers. But like, it's, it's literally the text of the show. <laughs> so surprise. It's it's kind of obvious here. Yeah. They, they're... Definitely a little bit more than friends here. Yeah, just just entirely, definitely. Nothing. <laughs> so anyway, I, I like I guess we have to focus on the absurd sexism of the episode because as I was saying before, we, we've covered immortality about six times so far. I feel like we've run <laughs> out of anything to possibly say on mortality because immortality as a science fiction concept isn't even that interesting to begin with. I, I will say that it would have been interesting if uh, Flint here would have mentioned running into the, the Plutonians, because he does claim to have been Socrates. True. And then it would be like, yeah, they were pretty cool. I taught them some things, and they like studied me, and then they became immortal. I was cool. <laughs> yeah, you don't have that kind of weird cross-continuity thing, even though everyone, every important thing that ever happened in the entire universe happened on Earth sometime around the Greek or Roman empires. Yes. <laughs> Some something weird happened here, and it just, Earth is just a weird magnet for like aliens and cross-dimensional whatevers. Also, speaking of this kind of thing, like they they played it down in the Man from Earth movie, which is basically this plot. But they make if you haven't listened to that episode, they they make it way more interesting because they turn mm-hmm. it into more of a abstract discussion on what being immortal for that long through human history would be like for someone as an experience to go through. Indeed. Um, but this uh, this episode is like, well, we have to sort of follow the Star Trek formula to a certain degree. So we have to have a conflict of this sort. Uh, we have to have, you know, lasers and robots and, you know, some 
some mystery to solve. Otherwise, we're just sort of beating at someone who's kind of interesting. Yeah, but they do this several times. Not like they've done things similar to this in Star Trek, but this is a very common immortality trope to kind of fit your original character back into human history. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's your good old fan fiction standby actually this guy you've never heard of before was this famous person just being called by another name yes you know uh, at one point yeah, yeah he was you know you know, uh, you know you know this important general at this location at this point he was this important you know, you know artist or composer and at this other t- point he was keanu reeves but you know because keanu reeves is immortal you know <laughs> yes <laughs> i got it <laughs> the new bill and ted looks really interesting I'm looking forward to it. Anyway, back to the episode. (laughs) So what that has the byproduct of doing is making not only just your great man theory of history, but your ultimate great man theory of history. Yes. Not only is history shaped by the actions of great men, it's the same guy. Yeah, I've sort of touched upon something, I guess, sort of an inversion of this, of someone who is pretending to be a great man in history and who is, like, you know, very long-lived or immortal, but they are basically trying to subvert the trope in a certain to a certain degree. We're like, yes, I'm pretending to be the important person, but everyone else is actually doing all the actual work. <laughs> well, they didn't do a ton with it in Man from Earth. But there's sort of an underlying theme there of him having been some historical figures, or at least influential to several historical figures, and living long enough to see the way that he tried to influence culture turn around into something negative. Turning out, not everything you do is going to last as you expect it is. So you get kind of this weird double thing with this kind of character, because Flint is done with humanity, thinks we're like a lost cause that he can just ride off and move away. But he's been so many influential people throughout history. They reference him specifically being King Solomon, who like yep. is like the basis of Western legal tradition. I'm going to have some laws and rules and, and decide some things here. So uh, yeah, keep doing that. So like he personally is saying that he had a overly large role in the development of Western culture, but also humanity is just too screwed up to deal with. <laughs> so what you're saying is that this guy's failed at his job? Which is an interesting <laughs> kind of paradox you always get into with the great man theories, because they're great men and they shaped history and they did all these amazing things and we have to like pay homage and respect the great men and create more great men and great leaders to lead us through these things as single individuals. But anything that's gone wrong is not their fault somehow. They are without sin. They are the ideal that everyone is supposed to look up to. And so anything they might have done wrong, you just kind of ignore that. Well, it's your normal split. The people, the great men who were in power would have been able to do everything right and fix everything if it weren't for some reason the poor huddled masses that don't have the power also have enough power to get in the way of what the great man is trying to do. Oh no, and so everything, his virtuous you know, heart is unable to fix all the problems. Yeah, it's kind of crap. <laughs> 
there, I guess there is a couple of uh, different versions of that as well. Uh, you know, because you know sometimes uh, historians do recognize like, yeah, this guy was trying to do this. He was kind of an ass about these things, but he's uh, actually trying to make some progress on this. But uh, you know, the that was actually going to help people. But it was actually like the nobility that was getting in the way. But uh, you don't hear about those stories very often. Well, it was this really interesting thing. I wish I had the name in front of me because I was just hearing this. But there, uh, the person who like basically invented hand washing. A raccoon? Let's see. Okay. <laughs> I can't pronounce this. <laughs> Hungarian physician Egon's Simmelwise. Egon Simmelwise. Simmelwise, yeah. I heard this mentioned recently, but there's been a lot of talk about him because he basically was one of the first people to come up with the idea that hand hygiene and medicine was important. Mm -hmm. And he discovered it in this really like kind of horrifying way where he worked in a hospital that did a lot of deliveries. And there was a very, very common complication that you would get after delivering a child where the mother would develop this awful awful horrible infection and die and he basically kind of put together through an unfortunate accident that he saw a colleague go through that they were going right from autopsying corpses to delivering babies oh dear that is kind of nasty and he basically came up like he didn't understand it this was this was still before the disease theory of medicine but he came up with this idea that you were carrying corpse particles on your hands then then getting them on people and that was causing disease so yeah he came up with this idea that if you like you know wash your hands in diluted bleach it gets rid of the corpse particles and then you're safer and this keeps getting talked about as like the guy who invented hand washing and it should be according to your kind of great man theory of history the sea change that brought in modern hygiene but the guy kept getting stymied at every turn because there was a lot of kind of cultural baggage attached to cleanliness and the idea that like you know gentlemen can't be dirty so implying that a gentleman who is a doctor needs to clean himself is just implying that this gentleman is dirty, like the poor peasants. Oh no, its appearances are, are more important than the actuality of something. And the reason that this reminded me of this was because you were saying that, you know, you have like people who try to do good things, but then something happens that prevents it. And the the like narrative that I kept hearing about this guy is that he like kept trying to spread this message around and some of like a lot of younger doctors that he worked with did embrace it and it did start becoming more of the norm but that he was just too rude and angry to people to for him to get his message across but when we were actually looking at the at this he like basically realized that he personally was killing people he was trying to help by not knowing this and then he discovered how to fix it and then tried to spread that and a bunch of people started ignoring it so of course he was going to be angry yeah it's like you know kind of like the current modern day with a bunch of folks that are like yeah wearing masks is for losers and weenies because you know oh yeah we're, we're too strong to like get the you know uh, coronavirus and die of it yeah and it's just like what the hell are you guys even thinking here and this just sort of struck me as 
basically an example by inverse of your great man historical theory because this guy should have been one of those great men but mm -hmm. he wasn't and it yeah. was definitely looking at it for a lot of cultural factors that this one guy didn't have any control over but when we talk mm -hmm. about it we have to talk about why this one great man failed in being a great man and that's why his messages didn't get embraced. Not because of other cultural and historical factors outside of his control, but because he wasn't being a great enough man. So you get kind of a thing where you got, you, you, you sort of need to, you know, in order to qualify as an official great man, uh, to fit into the culture that you are existing in, in a certain way. And if you rock the boat beyond that, that limit there, you are never accepted or you're you do make an impact but it's so small that you know you don't really see it until well after you're dead and then no one remembers your name if you don't accept the great man theory as the de facto way that history changes and you actually look at how things are functioning and mm -hmm. flowing around people you can see that the great man theory is applied in reverse yep you have something that changed, like, for example, the American Revolution, where this group of people decided that they wanted to, like, lead a revolution and inspire people to create a new nation state, and that worked. So we go back and say, well, they were the great men of history. If it hadn't yes. worked, they would have been no-name traitors. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're members of rebel allies and a traitor. Take them away. So we're applying history backward. We're going, here is where change happened. Here's a person who was, you know, involved in that change. And that means that this guy made the change happen. And, you know, it's like re recognition is, you know, you know for, for doing the good thing as opposed to the rest of us schlubs who are just sort of doing stuff, making, you know, the world actually work. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's basically, it's, you know, it's like just about advertising, really. Basically... And it, it ignores so much of the actual way that history changes and the actual things that were happening. Like, just for the American Revolution example, there was a lot of other stuff happening at the time. There was a decline in power in the British Empire. There, a lot of other colonies around the same time were starting to become unhappy with the way the British colonial powers were enforcing their rules. There was the rule that had just been implemented about American settlers not being allowed to expand any farther that ticked off a lot of people who came here to try to like get new land and things. And then on top of that, you had a couple of incredibly already powerful, already influential people who decided that the world would probably be a bit better if they were in charge of things. Yeah, and so let's let's kick out the British, and then we can take over. But stuff was already <laughs> primed. It's not like somebody like George Washington suddenly went, "Hey, we should fight the British," and everyone's like, "Well, there's an idea. I never thought of that before." People are already unhappy with the, with the status quo, so just, they kind of just took advantage of it. Well, the entire like enterprise of this so ignores the way that history actually functions. It really just serves to maintain a certain status quo because you're mm -hmm. supposed to just wait around until a great man comes in and does something about the problems. Yeah, so you have to find your savior and then 
fall in line behind them and uh, worship at their feet and promote them. And uh, and if they are successful, then you are uh, you know part of the 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 aura around this great man. And they they go down in history, and you can feel proud for supporting the 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 ideal person and things like that. Either that, or you were supposed to become this great person because. One of the most common things that you see if someone, you know, even mildly criticizes the current system is like, well, why haven't you fixed it yet then? I'm trying. I'm sorry. (laughs) But then because the failure of the great man is on like the masses, it has a wonderful effect on being able to maintain a status quo. That's that's why I sort of poked at, you know, it's like, you know, these... You know, it seems that these great men are very good at sort of keying in to what's already kind of present with the situation there. You know, they, 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 they are doing something that fits in with the status quo as is and just sort of increments it to the next logical step as opposed to actually causing a massive upheaval that changes the whole paradigm. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like we often kind of gloss over this with the original series because it happens so freaking often. But... The way that they treated the woman in this episode is just horrifically bad. It's like, okay, you are now going to be treated as a sex object by basically everyone, and uh, you are also introduced as being super smart, but we're not going to really let you show that off in any sort of meaningful capacity. Uh, Instead, we're just kind of going to look at you and have this love triangle thing. Yeah, she has to act like a ditzy blonde. Mm-hmm. Even though she's supposedly smarter than all of the rest of them put together. Quite demure and not really interested in saying anything for most of the episode. Yeah, she exists to be a sex object that is the thing that Kirk and Flint fight over. And so mm-hmm. you don't have to deal with either of them winning. She just dies and you're supposed to be okay with this. Because like, well, yeah, it was not. just too much for her. And the real tragedy of her death, as it has been so many times on this show, is that it made Kirk sad. Uh, this is not quite the same trope as women in fridges, but it's pretty close. Yeah. As opposed to motivating to action, it's concluding it, I guess. Yeah, it's the same basic thing. It's that the woman as an entity does not matter. She's not human. In this case, she's literally not human. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to care about her humanity or care about her as a person and when she dies it's not a tragedy because a human died it's a tragedy because of the lost potential that she had for the men around her so she's very much explicitly being defined by her relationship with men as opposed to being her own person yeah which well uh, kind of at the end she's almost trying to like no screw you guys you know this is just too 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 ridiculous here but then that's right when she dies. So it's like she's kind of becoming into coming to her own almost, but then she's just not anymore. Not exactly, because the the thing right at the end is such a freaking trope, and we need to like mm-hmm. stop. Because I still see this idea that she comes in and says, Oh no, I can't be the cause of you two hating each other. But like, you're not. You're not the cause of them hating each other. They're both adults, <laughs> nope. and they should be able to deal with their danged emotions. Yes, they are kind of acting like uh, small, spoiled children here. Uh, it's, this isn't on you, my lady. Come on. Yeah, if, if you, as a woman, I suppose the only thing you could take away from this is that you need to make sure that only one man falls in love with you. 
Because otherwise you're going to start a fight between them and hurt them, and that would be awful. And I guess that means it's all your fault, and that's just an awful lesson. Yeah, it's her fault. She, she says explicitly that it's her fault that they are fighting, and that she feels bad that they are fighting over her, because she is the cause of so much pain for them. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's not do this joke anymore. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, they, they try to get around it because she's not human. And the only particular reason they have her not being human, as far as I can tell, is so that they can kill her. Because mm -hmm. if she was human and died, it would be too sad. But she's a robot and dies, so she's a robot who dies. Kurt gets to ascribe her extra humanity because he's in love with her as a sex object. Yep. But it's okay that she dies, and we don't have to be upset about it, and we don't even have to question the morality of Spock making Kirk forget her as a person because it's causing him too much pain to realize that a person existed and died. <laughs> it just, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for words for how to sort of describe how I'm kind of very dissatisfied with how this turned out. Yeah, it's a problem. And I, I feel a little responsible on how we have talked about these things in previous episodes, because it's so obvious to look at through a modern lens and go, well, this is very obviously wrong. But we're still doing a lot of these things, and mm -hmm. you have to bring a certain amount of awareness to it. It's not enough to just hand wave it and go like, oh, we wouldn't be like that anymore. It's kind of like this discussion that we're having right now that like it's not enough to just try to say that you're not racist. You have to actively be anti-racist. I feel like we need to be doing the same thing with the sexism that we're seeing in these. It's not enough to Agreed. say that we don't agree with it. You have to actively be against it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I guess uh, one of the, the things in this sort of particular uh, context is, you know, uh, to, I guess to make clear that we're against this kind of sexism ourselves. And uh, I guess here's maybe a hypothetical then. How would you change the episode? Okay, well, it's not that complicated, and it's something a lot of people have talked about in this kind of thing. If you want to have a woman in this kind of capacity, she just has to be an actual character. Mm -hmm. Like, what is the relationship here? You don't know anything about her. Like, what is the relationship of her being raised by this guy to be like an immortal buddy? Someone's educated and smart, and yeah. How does it affect her to learn that she's a creation of this person like yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't in the episode but like she's just not a character you can't really rewrite it without inventing a new character yes so give her a character for what you know uh, you know have her have some sort of personality even if she has you know you know limited or no emotions at the start uh you could have as she sort of is supposed to be developing these emotions slowly sort of express you know you know attitudes and behaviors that she hasn't had before you know, starting very blank, and then by, like, mid-episode, she's, like, telling jokes, and Flint's like, you've never told me a joke before, and she's like, I guess I never felt inspired to, or something like that. And then by the end of the episode, she's like, so, you made me for to be your, your plaything. I don't want to be your plaything. I was okay with being your friend and your, your counterpart here, your, someone that you were helping educate, but I don't want to, to fill that role. I want to explore the universe for myself. And uh, so I'm, and Kirk, you could go away. Stop trying to kill, uh, kiss me here. Um, but I'm going to leave these guys and um, bye. I might come back someday, but I need to like think about some stuff. So <laughs> bye, Flint. And Kirk, just go away. Go, stop it. <laughs> you know, if you wanted to keep the same, this is like not great. But if you wanted to keep the same stupid like 
she and Kirk relationship thing that's making Flynn jealous. You just need like a line at the end where she turns on Flint for like creating her as a sex object. And then she goes up to Kirk and you have the fake out that she's going to like go with him and to go off on their romance and just pat him and be like, you were fun and then leave. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I hope there's more interesting people out there. Bye. <laughs> well, alternatively, uh, you know, you know, she's like, okay, well, now the thing is, Kirk, you're great. I kind of was more interested in Spock over here. <laughs> so Spock, uh, you know, are you okay with uh, me dating both you and Flint here? This is, is that going to be okay? And then we have uh, like a, like the modern retelling of this or something. Sorry, we can't really fix it. Yeah, it's 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 too broken. There's also right. too many characters to focus on in an hour-long span because you have who should be an interesting character with Flint, who's the immortal dude who took lit, like the same writer took literally an entire movie to explore a character like this in any kind of depth. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then trying to also shoehorn in like an actual female character that has a very complicated relationship with this already complicated character, you just don't have time for it in an hour. Yeah, so I guess to maybe the better way to sort of, you know, fix this episode is to actually get rid of Raina entirely. I mean, if you wanted to actually fix the episode, you either cut her completely or you just have her instead of Flint and you deal with what it was like to be an immortal woman. There you go. Because you don't, you know, you don't run into that too often in sci-fi. No, you don't. Because it'd be too depressing to go like, yeah, I was like, things were great. And then Western culture happened. And then there was all this weird like sexism. And then when we hit <laughs> capitalism and, you know, really doubled down, that's when I just left. It's like, yeah, that was, I was just so done. So I got in the first spaceship out of there and I left. That would be too depressing of an episode for people. She does remind me a little of Doctor Who, though. Because mm. they do have an immortal uh, uh, lady character in that that's not a Time Lord. The new one? Yes, in the new Who a couple seasons back. Yeah, they really did nothing with her. That was such a bad character. Like, oh, there's some interesting stuff you can really kind of do with this, and then kind of just ended at the end of the season. That's when I stopped watching Hmm. that. That's when I stopped watching new Doctor Who, because they, like, introduced her, and then she is up again, and it's like, oh, you have to deal with the consequences of your actions, Doctor. Also, there's fire-breathing cat people. Yep. (laughs) Which is, I guess, something you kind of expect in a lot of Doctor Who, just that sort of like, okay, what the hell is this? But, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. By that, we're not reviewing Doctor Who, but by that point, the freaking show was so badly edited. Also, I couldn't tell what was supposed to be going on. So I, I will say that the, the season that followed uh, and uh, onward things have gotten uh, generally better. But uh, yeah, it, it's maybe... It's also a very different tone the last couple seasons. Anywho, back to Star Trek. Uh, well, we covered Great Man Theory and we covered like general sexism and a light overview of feminist theory but i'm not versed enough in feminist feminist critique to actually give one so well uh there was i was going to touch upon loneliness but we are running a little low on time we could touch on loneliness a bit if you want it's bad yeah it's lonely yeah it's it's something that uh you know could drive people to uh you know all sorts of uh, different sort of directions some of them less happy than others Uh, and uh and this is sort of one of the things that sort of implied is going on with uh flint here but it is i guess not super investigated other than well i kind of wanted a companion so i wouldn't be lonely anymore it's not and it it bothers me we've talked about this before with the mortal things but you always have this Mm -hmm. idea of like you are so lonely because no one understands your immortal life and whatever and that could be true because if you have a completely unique experience that no one else has ever had of course that's going to feel somewhat isolating 
but mm -hmm. you know they keep talking about how humans are like these fleeting things and whatever the heck but like most people live for at least 50 years even throughout most of history the whole like 30 year life expectancy thing is an average that's really tanked down by the infant death rate so Indeed. you know most people were living into their 50s like 50 years is still a pretty long time even with for a freaking immortal you could have friends and relationships and they go i'm so lonely because i moved away from literally everyone else in the entire world and i'm so lonely yep. pity me it's like you have a pretty easy solution to your problem here guy like just hang out with the same people for a while and you know yeah you'll eventually miss them but in the meantime you'll get to know other people but everyone misses them the entire idea of this is predicated on our weird death avoidance thing that we've started doing in western culture we're like mm -hmm. you can't maintain a friendship if you have the idea that your friend might die which is just ridiculous because everyone yeah. is going to like you or your friend are going to live outlive the other that's just how it works unless you both happen to die in the same car crash in that case it's just a tragedy hmm. yeah it's, it's it's something that we should not be totally hung up about it sort of implies that friendship only matters if it does last forever in a very literal sense which is complete crap uh, it's, you know, I guess it diminishes the, the value of the friendships as we experience them in the here and now. And, and it's it sort of, it's, it's like trying to commodify it. Yeah. That it's only worth our time and effort if it is this thing that is impossible and no less. And that's just kind of a weird standard to be trying to enforce on ourselves. And I don't like it. And I've always felt like this, like I've been having this discussion with someone very recently that the... The whole thing that we do around death now, where you're supposed to not miss people and not be sad about it, and it's supposed to be this like innate fear that we all have and we can't even think about, is so ridiculous because it's basically taking away from any relationship you have. Because if you know someone, mm -hmm. if someone in your family or someone who was close to you died, and I guarantee like pretty much all of us have at least one person, and you're mm -hmm. not allowed to feel bad that they're not around anymore, it's completely devalued any kind of like experience that you had with them and anything that you can bring from that experience into the rest of your life. Exactly. It's basically, I guess, insulting the memory of them in a certain degree. They are no longer worth your time and consideration. And this self-imposed loneliness to protect yourself from pain is something that I see people doing now. Because of this, you're supposed to not expose yourself to loss in that kind of way and the only way you can do that is to have a self-imposed distance from other people now i will say that i'm a little bit of a loner most of the time but that's certain you know it's sort of being in that weird spot between introvert and extrovert sort of stuff going on there but that's a whole other thing <laughs> but i still crave knowing people I, I i value my friendships and you know when i f first started having my weird anxiety issues here uh for a little bit i thought i might be dying and so I'm like, wow, the, the, all, all, all the stuff that I'm not, I'm, no, I'm not going to be able to sort of experience with my, my good friends. And, you know, and that was what you know, I guess sort of helped me sort of focus and be like, no, I want to keep going because these, you know, these, these memories that I have, I, ver I value so much and I'd like to make so many more of them. And, and that, you know, that helped kind of keep me going through that. Uh, even though, you know, I was kind of very isolated at the time and, you know, in, in a lot of physical pain as well. And it is a, a, a sort of a, a, a moment where it's like, you know, can kind of in retrospect, 
It's like, yeah, I understand sort of the value of my friendships at this point in a very sort of explicit fashion. And I don't want to give that up. That would just be, it would, <laughs> it would make me not me anymore to a certain degree. Uh, we've had a slight discussion about some things like this. There's a lot of traditions and a lot of schools of thought say the reason that things are important and it's worth caring about things and the thing that makes anything worthwhile is the very fact that it doesn't last forever. Mm -hmm. the, t the temporality of it. We are here to experience it, so let's enjoy it while it lasts. In fact, there's this very, I don't know, we don't have like time to completely get into it, but there's this kind of Buddhist thing I've been reading very, very recently that a lot of the base thing that they've been talking about is that the experience of suffering comes from trying to avoid pain. Confront it a little bit more directly and maybe you'll suffer less. Pain is inevitable. It happens. Yeah, yeah I, I know I need to get my blood test here, so just stick me in the arm already. Okay. But suffering doesn't have to be inevitable. Indeed. I guess it's sort of a good, good idea to sort of separate them into two different distinct uh, sort of things, I guess. One is the very direct, this is the sensation I'm experiencing, is, and then suffering is the, this is the, I guess, dwelling on that, 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 uh, 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 pain uh, on top of that. Well, I know that I've... Which can last a lot longer than the pain. Yeah, I know I discussed a like better definition of this with someone a while ago, but I'm having trouble remembering it. But yeah, pain is very experiential. It's something that mm -hmm. you can get through. It's often something that you feel is worthwhile to get through for mm -hmm. a cause or reason. Suffering isn't. Suffering is like imposed on you or possibly yourself by trying, like often by trying to avoid painful things. Indeed. Which, you know, you could talk more about my anxiety, but I'm kind of running out of things to sort of formulate in a coherent fashion right uh, now. Well, also, we've run a little over. I know that we've hit some of this ground before, so I should read more of my books before I talk too much more on a thing that I've read three chapters on. So, And I need to get around to reading the Epic of Gilgamesh, but that's entirely different thing. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that we've worked our way around from depressing topics to the galaxy's favorite game show! Hey everybody, welcome back to the game show boys of the show. How are you guys feeling today? I hope you're feeling fantastic. Uh, we got three prizes to hand out today because our very contestants have racked up a number of points. The first one is the hard drive brain prize, which goes to Reyna and also Kirk, I guess? Because Reyna's hard drive corrupts at the end or something because emotions. Yeah, we already talked about all that. And then Kirk because Spock just kind of helps him forget some stuff. What do they win, Gepwin? Well, Raina gets, like, a literal hard drive, because she's a robot, so. Excellent. I think we should have them just switch. Like, Raina didn't deserve that, and Kirk is obviously too sad to want to live, so, like, let's just upload one into other. Just take mm. the one hard drive and replace the other one, so Raina gets to be captain now. Awesome. Yeah, this is a, a much better way to end the series than a Turnabout Intruder. Anyway, our second prize is the Everybody Loves Robots prize, because we got these M4 robots that are just kind of floating around, because they're and they're also just such friendly murder bots. What do they win, Gepwin? Everyone gets an M4 model, because like, it is the cutest robot they've had. Yeah. And it's one of the only times they've made an endearing robot that's not very human, until you hit, like, Star Wars. So M4 is like the original cute droids. Yeah, and uh, I guess there is, uh, you, know, you know, like little flaily arm robots, but the, you know, these ones are much cuter, I think. It's like, 
I'm just going to float here and just readily laser at you. It's going to be fine. Our final prize today is the Highlander Award prize, which goes to Flint, naturally, for living for around 6,000 years and not looking a day over 60. What does he win, Gepwin? Flint wins some tanked, like, philosophy books or something. Maybe some things about meditation. It's like, how are you 6,000 years old? But you're so disconnected from your own feelings and inner workings that you're this miserable. Maybe he's forgot to think about himself. He does not know himself. Didn't spend a day in there thinking about your own feelings or emotions or how you function. You're just saying, no, lonely. Dear diary, yeah. still lonely. So, uh, we get some books and maybe a diary then? All right, I think that works. So, uh, Gepwin, uh, what do you think about our contestants this week? Do you think they lived up to their, uh... They're, they're various uh, scores here? Yeah, because now they're outside of their various fields. They're <laughs> gonna die. So. I guess M4 will just be alone on this planet eventually. The planet of the M4 robots. Maybe M4 will have a random encounter with some sort of space probe. It'll go on a murder spree across the galaxy. So many different series. <laughs> Alright, thank you to all our contestants, and thank you all for joining us on this immortal episode of the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! So then, we're getting close to the end of the original series, Gapwin. Yep. How close are we? Uh, I think we're going to have like four or five episodes left at this point here. Oh my. So uh, what have we not done as far as like, as far as like general big tropes in Star, Star Trek? What have we not done yet? Um, yeah, what haven't we done yet? We've not done hippies. Yeah. This, in, a, in a different way. That's true. <laughs> we haven't done hippies yet. We haven't done Apparently like the next episode. full on hippies. We've done drug hippies, which were bad. Bad. <laughs> you have to you have to resist the drug hippies, man. Yeah, but next week we have hippies and this way to Eden. Apparently it's hippies everyone knows, according to this. The Enterprise is hijacked by a group of hippies. Hippie or yep. a hippie like group. Yep. <laughs> Space hippies. Trying to find a mythical paradise called the planet Eden. Oh no. This planet yeah you know, this is a planet called Eden is just sort of inviting to be, like, invaded by, like, the Borg or something like that, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Something... Oof. This sounds bad. I'm skimming, but it doesn't sound good. Yeah, also, haven't we had, like, five or six planets been described as Eden before in this series? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they've been to so yeah. many, like, everything on this planet is perfect. Humans could live here forever with no problems. Oh, my God. But this one. Not this. This one's a myth. Not this planet yes. where everything's perfect and humans could live here forever with no problems. So, yeah. Maybe we should just, like, forward them to the one of those other planets we they already visited. I know. They could go maybe to the Spore Planet. Them. Why can't we just send yeah. them to the Spore Planet? They're already hippies. <laughs> you already hate them for being hippies. Yeah, it's like, you guys can get drugs, too. Oh, well, really? Okay, let's go. It's going to make you, like, immune to radiation and cool stuff. Yeah, this is just, I don't know, we're gonna, we're gonna have so many, hippies were such a weird thing, and the way that people treated them was so strange. It's gonna be really interesting yeah. to see how this weirdly mainstream leftist show treats hippies. Yeah, I, I think, I'm, 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 I have not seen this episode myself, but I have a feeling that it's going to fall very much into the trope of, 
You gotta punch the hippie. The main hippie is named Tango Rad. That's a pretty rad name. Yeah. Tango Rad. <laughs> and two other women. Girl one and girl yeah, two. Yeah, we have girl one and girl two. It's great. Oh my god. Okay, we'll see how bad this freaking thing is on a peace and love filled episode next week on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Kirk versus some hippies. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>